Hi, I'm Adam Arecchio. And I'm Mike Arecchio. And this is the New York Minute, your new favorite New York sports-based podcast. Join us for one hour every week. We're going to be talking about the Yankees, the Mets, the Knicks, the Nets, the Giants, and the Jets. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode three of the New York Minute. I'm Mike here with my brother, Adam. Hey, guys. Uh, episode three of the New York Minute. Today, we're going to be talking about draft days for the New York Jets and the New York Giants. We're going to grade both drafts. I had them both as pretty good drafts, but we want to start off with the last dance. Um, the documentary going on for ESPN. Mike, did you have any initial thoughts on the documentary? Of course. Any um, takeaways? The Rodman episode? Okay. Um... Basically, he was the dirty guy on the team, the enforcer. Maybe yep. the glue guy, if you want to call sure. him that. Yeah. Do you think you'd need one on a championship team? Yeah, well, without question, I think you definitely need one on a title team. Um, I think pretty much if you go back through history, I think every team probably had a guy like that. You know, a glue guy, enforcer. Uh, a guy who's willing to do the stuff that the stars don't have to do, basically. Okay. Um, let's, let's take it back a couple of years. You got the Warriors, right? Yeah, the Warriors had a couple. I think uh, Draymond Green probably fits the bill uh, for a player that's kind of a glue guy, dirty work guy kind of deal. Uh, Andre Iguodala, Andrew Bogert, Zaza Pachulia. You know, there's a lot. You know, you got to have role guys. Uh, and I don't think Rodman was the only glue guy on that team. I think he's the, the most famed one. But you have, uh, you know, Luke Longley would kind of characterize that. Bill Wennington. Uh, even Ron Harper, who sacrificed a lot, was kind of a, a glue piece. So I think, uh, you know. What do you got before that, like? The Spurs had a couple guys over Spurs, there. The Lakers had Robert Ory. You know, he yeah. checked Steve Nash into the uh, scorer's <laughs> table and cost the Suns a title. Um, you had, yeah, the Heat had, you know, Birdman, Mario Chalmers, uh, James Posey. There was a lot of guys, uh, a, lot of, a lot of dirty work guys, a lot of glue guys, a lot of enforcers. Um, yeah. I think you have to have it. Yeah, you need you it for sure. It, yeah. Uh, one takeaway I had, uh, Phil Jackson. Uh, it was kind of like a Yoda. I think... Um, Nowadays, I think Phil Jackson, maybe because of his last run with the Knicks, gets a little bit underappreciated, but you can't, can't take anything away from uh, how he was able to, to maintain the egos of, of the star players and kind of mesh it all together. And um, I think the fact that none of these players would continue playing, like Michael Jordan didn't want to play without Phil Jackson, I think speaks volumes to how impactful he actually was when... Uh, I think now it's kind of like, well, he only coached stars, you know, you know, he won championships, but he never had a team that was, you know, that didn't have Jordan or didn't have Kobe or didn't have, you know, Shaq, Pippen. But um, conversely, I mean, Jordan never won a title without him. Kobe never won a title without him. So I think you have to give him some credit for what he was able to do and how he's able to connect with these players. I think it was a big transition when it went from Dunn Collins to Phil Jackson, and the whole offense was pretty much oriented around Jordan. Yeah, yeah. And then sure. the whole team aspect came into it, and um, I think Jordan was a little receptive to it at first, but kind of obviously over time latched yeah. on to the whole idea. And So they made Jerry Krause out to be a villain in this thing, um, and he definitely was for sure. Um, but I, I think that... I think that he's getting a ton of blame for a situation that there should be blame for more than one party, and he's not here to defend himself. So I'm looking at Scottie Pippen, um, and I'm thinking about Jerry Krause in terms of him trying to trade Scottie Pippen in order to, in order to restart a rebuild. Um, and you think about the pieces that Krause could have potentially had. 
Um, supposedly there was a deal ready for Sean Kemp. Um, I think there was a beat writer from the Sonics that had mentioned he was at a Seattle draft party and they were watching Scottie Pippen highlights. They thought that the, the trade was a done deal. It was going to be Pippen, Peyton, Nate McMillan. What was that going to look like on defense? Um, and so that would be a great get. It would have been interesting to see what Sean Kemp would have done with Michael Jordan. That didn't come to fruition. Then, allegedly, there was a trade for the draft pick that ended up being Tracy McGrady. So if you pair Jordan with McGrady... Um, and there's kind of a passing of the torch there, you're really able to amplify that rebuild. But because you couldn't trade Pippen, which, which was something that Krauss wanted to do, um, Pippen ends up hanging on to the, the bitter end. Phil Jackson's gone. Michael Jordan's gone. Now you have no leverage to trade Pippen. You have nobody else on the roster. Pippen doesn't want to be there. You finally trade Pippen. All you get back is a second-round pick and Rodney Rogers. <laughs> Um, Rodney! So they they're unable to start a rebuild. And on top of that, they go into the offseason. They don't have a lottery pick because they won the championship, the last pick in the draft. So you go in there, you have the worst roster in the NBA, and you don't have a draft pick because you weren't able to quick start the rebuild. And if you look at what GMs have done recently, like Danny Ainge, who was able to unload Garnett and Pierce at, before, you know, you know, before they started their rebuild and get some picks back, pieces back, um, you know, Belichick always said that it's better to trade a guy a year early versus a year late. And I think that they traded Pippen a little bit too late. And his decline was pretty steep after that. I know think he was on some pretty good teams, but his numbers were never the same. So I think he had the right idea. Obviously, you can't absolve him from all the criticism. Obviously, if you bring back Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan comes back, which is, I mean, it's crazy to even think about that today. Um, do you, think he, like that do you think he just wanted to move on? Like, he just wanted to move on from Phil Jackson and move on because yeah, it was com- think, kind of coming to an a, end in the head? With, I think with the Phil Jackson thing, I think it was kind of a credit thing. I really do. I think that he's like, I discovered Phil Jackson, and yeah. now Phil Jackson's making more money than me. He's getting all the credit. Nobody's talking about me. Okay. See you know what I mean? So I think that was that was a petty part of it, and, and Jordan was also petty in a way because he's like, oh, I'm not going to play for anybody else. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I... He had a quick trigger with Collins, I thought. They made the Eastern Conference Finals the year before, and what he, when did he get fired? A cut, like half, half the season, halfway in? Halfway, no, after the year. After the year. After the year. Um, I, I don't know. Like a quick you trigger. Know, it did, but he, it, it, paid, it was a good move because they ended up winning with uh, Phil Jackson. It's hard to imagine them. You know, I, I don't know if they would have won with Doug Collins, but, yeah. they, but they, they did win with Phil, so that's kind of how it went. So, yeah. I took away, um, I don't know, we might have a, two different perspectives on this. The physicality of the league then and now. Um, it seems like the players got away with a lot more back then, just hacking, destroying people. Um, the refs really let them play. Compared to now, if you blow on someone, you might get a flagrant. Yeah, so I, I think I think the sport is still extremely physical, and I think I think they kind of highlight the most physical parts of it. But I don't think you can get away with this stuff now that they were getting away with back then. So I think I think a lot of the physicality stuff for oh man, you couldn't play in the eighties, this guy couldn't play in the nineties, I think that's a little bit overstated. I, obviously it was a little bit more physical, but you have to also take into account how much bigger, stronger, and faster today's athlete is. Like just for an example, if you look at the the bad boy pistons, you have Lambeer weighing in at two thirty, you have Rodman in the two twenty range, you have Sally in the two twenty range, you got Jordan at two fifteen, LeBron at two seventy is forty pounds heavier than the entire piston front line. 
So it's a different athlete. It's a different caliber athlete in 2020. I think it's also a perspective thing. It was a little more acceptable back then. Yeah, like for they, sure. They had rules, like yeah. the Jordan rules. Like, if he comes to the lane, you destroy him. Imagine that yeah, yeah, came you, out yeah. now. Forget it. There would be, yeah. It would be, it yeah. would be. Uh, Whoever, if somebody hand-checked, uh, if somebody just hammered LeBron like that, he'd be a pariah. They'd, they'd be on trial. They'd be on trial, yeah. yeah. Um, one thing I had, one question I had, um... Michael Jordan wins three titles in a row and then retires. Okay, then he comes back, he wins three titles in a row. It doesn't work out where they can come back and defend it for the fourth time. Do you think Michael Jordan regrets retiring the second time and not seeing how many in a row he could have potentially won? If it's me, I'm, I'm not retiring. I'm, just right. rock, I'm, I'm going until I can't go. There's, there's, a, there's a, another alternate universe where Jordan wins four, five, or six in a row. But he, but because he retired early, it never happened. Now I get going out on top, um, like John Elway went out on top, top and uh, Peyton Manning went out on top. But the, here's the thing: with Peyton Manning, he went on top. Yeah, he won a Super Bowls last year, but he was he was far from he was as good as he was. You know, <laughs> yeah, he was noodle arm. Basically, he had nothing left. So for him to get the title was just like, hey, I'm going to carry this defense and game manage this thing, and it worked out for him. But um, Jordan was still at the peak of his powers. He's still the best player in the NBA. So for him to walk away at his apex. After winning three in a row, I gotta think there's a part of him that wonders how many he could have won. How many do you think they would have won if he stayed? I don't know. It's hard to say. Like if you go from the beginning, if he doesn't retire to play, if he doesn't retire to play baseball, you're talking eight. But does he win only? I don't know. Do they beat the Rockets? Rockets fans will tell you that he wouldn't beat the Rockets. I think they would have been better than the Rockets. Um, I know a lot of people say they had nobody to go to Lajuan, but they managed to overcome all these teams with dominant centers. Um, so I think they would have won. I don't know. I think they would have beaten the Rockets, but I don't know if it would have been eight in a row. They might not have won the last dance year. You know what I'm saying? Seven of eight, six of um, eight, or something. Yeah, like and that. I think, you know, I think if you look anymore. at what happened with the Bulls overall, it's kind of like a, Pat Riley has that what's called disease of me, which he he mentions in his book. Like after you get that first title, it's oh, what about me? What you know? What, what can I get? You know, how can I benefit? And I think the more you win, the more you kind of looking at you know what else is there? You know, because the second one, the third one, the fourth one, the fifth one, you know, what else is there? And for a guy like Scotty, he wants more money. For a guy like Krause, he wanted more credit. Uh, Jordan had everything anyway, so he just wanted to keep winning. But ego, yeah, so ego, exactly. Ego. ego gets in the way. How about walking off the court without the handshake? How do you feel about that? Uh, I mean, <laughs> Jordan. Jordan seems a little bent yeah, out of shape. I, about I, you know, it. I didn't like. There's still time on the clock. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, bad. like if there was no time in the clock and it was like, like you're not feeling great right now, and you walk off. That's one thing. But to, to walk off and the game's not over yet, especially when the year before. Chicago had, you know, and Jordan's crying on the bus after, but, like, he's, like, yeah. Jordan's so good with the media. You know what I mean? Like, after the game, he's like, yeah, you know, they outplayed us. Yeah, they're, they're like, a better team. Headbutt yeah. the wall, probably, <laughs> when he gets to the locker room. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't think that was a great look for Isaiah Thomas. So I had an idea for a game, and I hope that anyone listening will play along. So I wanted to know what you guys thought about possibly building a team Based off of the 72 and 10 Chicago Bulls, 95, 96, and the 97, 98 last dance team with a 2020 version. So what I'm talking about is taking a current starter and and kind of projecting it into the past. Like, how would that player look like in 2020? What would the 2020 version of this team look like, basically, based on active players look like? Now, I'm going, I'm going starting lineup and shooting guard. So um, in order to partake in this exercise i had mike pick his team and i picked my team 
So we're gonna go back and forth. I figured we'd start with Jordan. So if you were gonna build this 72 and 10 Bulls team or the, or the Last Dance team, who, who would be your Michael Jordan? I'm just gonna throw some stats out there about the team first. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> they yeah. were first in the NBA in scoring that okay. year. 105.2 points per game. Great. Um, third in the league in defense, they allowed ninety two point nine points. That's a, a, just, what is that? A nine point differential? Yes. Oh uh, no, thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. Uh, just to translate that into today's game, um, this past season in the shortened year, the Bucks were were first in the league in scoring, averaging one eighteen point six. If you take the the Bulls ninety five ninety six scoring, they were. Under the Knicks in 29th in the league. So it's just, you know, it's a different game, but, you know, yeah, it's, 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 funny fun, seeing, it's fun just it's to look at it like that. seeing scores from those games, like, oh, yeah, the Bulls won 99-something, 84, you know. But today, teams don't score under 100 points. Going into the 72-10 and 10 year, what were their odds to win the championship? Going into the 72-10 year? Going into that year. Uh, that was so. I was after 94-95. 94-95, they lost to the Magic. Um, I'm going to say, like, 12-1. to Three and a half. That's it? Yeah, okay. That's it. Three okay. and a half. Yeah. All right, All right so yeah. Who's your MJ? Go ahead. Go ahead. So I did mine based off straight stats. Okay. Um, not really style of play or anything like that. Just based off points, rebound, assist, position. Um, that was pretty much it. So with Jordan, he, he was averaging 30.4 that year. Points. 6.6 boards. 4.3 assists. The closest guy I found... Um, was Bradley Beal. Um, okay, so you really went straight stats. I went straight stats. Okay. I went okay. straight okay. stats. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Straight stats just to see how it translated. Bradley Beal, okay. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's a little shorter. Yeah. Totally different game. But, yeah. um, but yeah, I went Beal. Um, obviously, not as dominant as Jordan was. Right, but right. I, I, my whole lineup is based off stats. Okay. Um, I know you took style into play and everything like that. So I, I took style into play, and I considered league status. Okay? So my Jordan was Kawhi. Okay. Um, arguably the best player in the NBA. When he locks in, he's the best defensive player in the NBA. Down the stretch, he's pretty much as clutch as it gets. He's a proven champion, a proven winner. He's a killer. And that mid-range stuff he does, a lot of times when I'm watching Kawhi, I'm like, this guy's a lot like Jordan. I think it's great. So, yeah, yeah that's that, great. that was my yeah. Jordan comparison. So, Okay, who do you have for Pippen? Um, again, stats. Jimmy Butler. I went Jimmy Butler. Wow, okay. um, Pippen that year, he averaged 19.4 points, 6.4 boards, 5.1 assists. He's 6'8". Uh, this year, Jimmy Butler was having 20.2, 6.6, and uh, 6.1. 6'7". Um, I mean, wow. th- yeah, pretty similar. I yeah. actually had Jimmy Butler in this spot also, oh. but I changed it. Um, I originally was thinking Jimmy Butler, but then I thought to myself, without... Without Jordan, Pippen was third or fourth or fifth in the MVP voting okay. those two years. So I'm thinking that this player needs to be a slight step, step up, up. Okay. from Jimmy Butler. Um, and it's crazy because this player's on the same team as Kawhi. I'm going to pick Paul George. Okay. Uh, he's a top ten guy. Uh, he's a good playmaker, a ball handler, elite defender, can guard pretty much every position, up and down. Um He's a proven number two option, and he's willing to be that number two option. Uh, we saw it with Westbrook, and we're seeing it now with Kawhi. And as a lead option, he could be the best player on a team that's about as good as the conference finals, and we saw that in Indiana. So I thought, 
which is, I thought was wild. I picked Paul George and Kawhi. They're both on the Clippers now. Um, so yeah, that was my that's my Jordan Pippen, and it's literally the modern day Jordan Pippen with Kawhi and Paul George. So on that, I'm going to ask you who your Rodman was. So if you go stats wise, there's nobody in the league that even came close to what he was doing because he barely scored. I think you saw the stat yeah, last scored. night. Yeah, one of the high, uh, he had seven games, I believe, where he had 20 boards and no points. Um, in the 95-96 season, he averaged 5.5 points. 14.9 boards. Uh, no one in the league is close to that, but I know height-wise they're not there. The closest I could find was DeAndre. All right. Okay. Statistically, he, statistically, yeah. He's average. I mean, yep. he didn't start the whole year this yep. year. Um, if he started, his numbers probably would have been yep. a little different. Pretty much a zero on offense. Pretty much a zero on offense, but he's going to get he's you. He's going to get you every rebound. He's going to get you a dozen That's, rebounds. Yeah. Statistically, yeah. that makes a lot of sense, yeah. actually. Um, well, for me, Rodman, and again, I'm going by status in the league, and I think that for me, Rodman was the easiest one. Uh, the modern-day Rodman, to me, was Draymond Green. Uh, he's a Swiss Army Knife defender. He's an irritant. Obviously, he's not that level of rebounder, and, and Draymond can give you a little bit more in terms of the shooting and the playmaking and stuff like that. But he's the enforcer type. He's the irritant. He's the number three guy. He's um, more valuable than maybe people think he is. But he's more valuable only to that team. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like Draymond yeah. might be an invaluable piece to the Warriors. On another team, he might not be as valuable. And I feel the same way about Rodman. If Rodman's on another team, it might not work out for him. Speaking of Rodman, does, can you play Rodman in 2020? Can you even play Rodman? He can't score. Can you play a guy he can't like shoot. that? Like, like, can you play him in the playoffs? I don't know. Maybe as like a 15-minute-a-game a center that can switch a little bit. And he's going to get you eight, eight ball, nine boards. But yeah. I, like, I don't even think you can play him in 2020. But yeah, so he's I, small. I, I, he's yeah, small. He's, he's yeah. a little undersized, too. And Draymond's undersized as well. So that's why I thought the comparison was, was pretty good with, uh, with Rodman. Um, on to our center, who is uh, Luke Longley. Luke! So, who's your Luke Longley comp? So Luke Longley averaged 9.1 points that year, 5.1 boards, 1.9 assists. Okay. I went Daniel Tice. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, he averaged 9.4, 5.7, and 1.2. Um, pretty much the same stat line. Um, you know, didn't really do too much for the team. He's, he's getting 26 minutes per game. Uh, but stats-wise, that made the most sense. Okay. I like that, Daniel Tice. Um, so when I think Luke Longley, I think intangibles guy, no eagle. No ego. Uh, minuscule stats. Uh, he's willing to do some of the dirty work, set the screen, stay out of the stars' way, pretty much. Um, and Longley had a reputation as a guy who mediated uh, stars. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go with a guy who started sparingly on a winner and did not get in the way. I'm going with Kevin Looney. <laughs> okay. So Looney started a handful of games for the Warriors. I think he started 30 games. For one of the Warriors teams, but he was kind of a spot starter. His stats very minuscule. Um, if you ask a Warrior fan, though, they'll tell you, "Hey, man, we, we like Kevin Looney. Like he he knew what he knew his role. Knows his role. He yeah. got he, he set a nice screen. <clears throat> uh, you know, occasionally he can get a bucket. If he, he's a guy you're gonna leave open, you know what I mean. But he's never gonna get in the Stars' way. So that's why I went with uh, Luke Longley. Okay. Um, on to Ron Harper. Ronnie, Ron stats weren't great. Um, so kind of low on the totem pole. He was at 7.4 points that year, 2.7 rebounds, 2.6 assists. I know 
he most likely – I mean, he'd split some time with Kerr, so his yeah. stats weren't great. Um, I went Avery Bradley off the 2019-2020 like season. Defense, too. Defense, too, yeah. 8.6 points, 2.3 rebounds, 1.3 assists. Um, very comparable stats and um, just not really that huge of an impact offensively. Um, yeah, so I went with Avery Bradley. Okay. So with Ron Harper, what I think of, I think of a big point guard. So he's like six, 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 seven, right? Long. Mm-hmm. So he, he gives you the switchability on defense. And a guy who, when he was on his own team, was a 20-point-per-game scorer. So Ron Harper, who a lot of people don't remember, played for the Clippers and the Cavs, who they mentioned the Cavs, uh, they mentioned the Cavs in the dock last night. He was a 20-point-per-game guy. So I'm looking for a guy who can average 20 a game. He's about six, 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 seven whose percentages might go up if he was playing alongside a couple of superstars and a guy who would really have to make a sacrifice to play with a couple of winners. And you know I have to get a net on this team. <laughs> so I'm picking Spencer Dinwiddie. Because Dinwiddie, right now, this season, averaged 20 a game. Okay? Uh, so we know he's capable of being a 20-a-game guy. Um, he's a big-time scorer on some bad teams. Harper, sac- Harper sacrificed a lot for the Bulls in order for Dinwiddie to fit in with a Kawhi and a Paul George and a Draymond Green, you have to think that Dinwiddie's going to have to beat. Uh, you have to make a lot of sacrifices. Uh, Dinwiddie's a guy whose percentages aren't great. Harper's percentages as, as a solo guy weren't great. you got to think they would go up if he was getting cleaner looks, if he was the third or fourth option. Um, and would he be a single-digit guy? Maybe not. The scoring's a little bit higher now, but I got, I got Dinwiddie as, as my Ron Harper on this team. What do you think of that? I think it's good. I think it's a great, great fit. Yeah. Like you said, if he's if he's on his own team, like Harper, he's going to score. He's going to score. score. Yeah, but score. like, you know, if, if he's playing with a couple stars, and we might actually get to see this next year, um, if they, when he's still with the Nets, uh, he's going to be a third or fourth option. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he's able to make that sacrifice. Um, the last but not least, the last piece of this team that I had was the sixth man, who was Tony Kukoc. So who'd you have for Tony Kukoc, Mike? I was stuck in between two guys. Um, for Tony Kukoc, he was averaging 13.1 points, four boards, three and a half assists. I went with DeAndre Hunter. Okay, uh, okay. 12, young. young, 12.3 points, 4.5 boards, and an assist a game. Um, a stats lined up. I also was on the fence just putting Bogdan Bogdanovich okay. on there. The Kings one. Yeah, the Kings okay. one. Um Stats were the same. Um, he, he he was a little more comparable stats wise, a little higher. But um, I would go with DeAndre Hunter. Okay, I like that. I like the I like both of those actually. Um, I didn't want to go with the cross Euro comparison. <laughs> yeah, I did. like I really didn't want to do this. I did not want to do this. But this is the deal. Tony Kukoc was about six eight six nine. Um, he was a point forward style player. He could play make. He could shoot. He had length. Uh, he was more than a capable star. He was a good passer. His defense was pretty limited. On a bad team, in a different situation, he put up big numbers. It, when Kukoc was on that Bulls team, after Jordan had left, he was like a 19-a-game guy. Okay? So I'm looking for a big forward and a guy who can put up numbers and a guy who, if he's your sixth man, is probably one of the best six men in the league. So I'm picking Danilo Gallinari. Oh. Um, again, good size, can, can handle the ball, a good passer, capable of scoring 20 a game, um, great shooter, so yeah, that that's my uh, that's my cool coach comp. So I think that's uh, it's what. So basically, this is how my team ended up. I got Kawhi, Paul George, Draymond, 
Kevin Looney and Spencer Dinwiddie with Danilo Gallinari off the bench. So that would be my 2020 version of the Bulls. Are they going 72 and 10? They're probably not going 72 and 10, but they're definitely competing for a title. Yeah, yeah. I had Beal, Butler, Jordan, Hunter, Avery Bradley, and Tice. That's a playoff team in the East. Yes, they're not uh, great. Yeah, it's it's not, not, not like, a great it's like team. a bottom tier, maybe like a five seed, uh, maybe eighth in the West. But yeah, no, I like the statistical comp though. Just, too. Yeah, they, what stats there? Yeah. Okay, so now we're gonna get into the NFL draft. Um, first off, uh, what would your draft setup look like if you were getting if you were uh, as a coach? Yeah, if you were a coach. Now, now they got the camera crew in your house. What did your draft setup look like? Kingsbury. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, he had some setup, right? That was, he had the fire going outside. I think I'd go like man cave style. I'd probably have some memorabilia involved. Um, You going Belichick? No. No? I'm definitely having some soup dumplings, though. (laughs) That's happening. I'll probably have a lot of pizza. So let's start off with the Giants, okay? So, what was your overall grade on the Giants? Now, real quick, Andrew Thomas, round one, offensive tackle, pick number four out of Georgia. Pick number two, Xavier McKinney, safety out of Alabama. And pick number three, Matt Pert out of Connecticut. Uh, we had obviously several more picks after that. But what was your take on the overall draft? I gave him an A. Okay. Um, they, they went out and got exactly what they needed with their first pick. They're trying to protect Daniel Jones. They're trying to create some space for Saquon. They took, according to Pro Football Focus, the number one tackle on the board. Um, how could you be mad with that pick? No, I agree. Uh, I actually gave them an A minus. Um, they needed to fix the offensive line. They did. They grabbed the best tackle they could. Um, they grabbed the best player in their board and maybe the best safety in the draft in Xavier McKinney in round two. They took another tackle in round three with a lot of promise. The reason why I gave them the minus was because this is one of the deepest wide receiver drafts in memory, and they do have a hole at wide receiver. I get why they couldn't get one, but I, they maybe there was an option where they could trade in or – you know, whatever, but they, they didn't get a receiver. So they didn't address all that needs, so I'm going to give them an A-. minus. Uh, anything you change for the Giants draft? I wouldn't change anything, um, but you, you touched on it, a wide receiver. Um, there's a lot, of, a little shaky at that spot. Yeah, I said I would have probably traded in for a wide receiver if I could have, maybe using some capital from next year. Or if they didn't make the Leonard Williams trade, they would have had that extra pick. Maybe they could have gotten a wide receiver or a center, but it is what it is. They have Leonard Williams, um, and... Hopefully they can address the receiver position either with somebody growing and staying healthy in-house or in next year's What is their receiving core right now? Right now, we're looking at Slayton as your number one, uh, Sterling Shepard, and then Evan Ingram is pretty much your, your tight end. After that, it's a little bit thin. Corey Coleman, if he's healthy, um, it's pretty thin. It's thin. Yeah. yeah it's but, thin. Uh, I mean, we'll see I mean, they, they, did, they shirt up that old line. Yeah, The sure. defense is up better. Mm-hmm. So, um, give me a stat from the top two picks of the Giants that you have. Um, a stat. Um, I liked Xavier McKinney. Out of five safeties to play over 450 snaps in the box, in the slot, and in free safety, he was the only one to get a 70-plus grade. Wow. Okay. So... He's going to be good. Pro football focus? Um, pro football focus. Oh, awesome. Yeah, pro football focus. And, and to your point also... Um, you know, a lot of people wanted Isaiah Simmons for that Swiss Army knife kind of plug-and-play defensive end where you can move around. But listen, 
2019, Xavier McKinney, 95 tackles, five and a half for a loss, three sacks, three interceptions, five passes defended, four forced fumbles. Six interceptions, two picks, and ten passes defended, and two forced fumbles the year before. So McKinney kind of fits the mold for a uh, Swiss Army Knight defensive player. I think they'll play him all over the field. He, he dropped a little too, right? He did. He, was, he, did. he was projected. So a, almost like a BPA there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Definitely best player available. For Thomas, uh, I put his, he's, been, he's been incredibly consistent at both tackle spots. Um, in three years, he only allowed 37 pressures, and just nine of those happened in 2019. That's what I have for Andrew Thomas. He's been he's gotten better every year, and I think with Andrew Thomas, a lot of people had him lower. It could be a case of hey, the more you put on tape, the more they could find on you. Uh, because coming into the draft, he was the number one guy. So, how about the piano? Yeah, oh yeah, he plays the piano. Great piano. Yeah, great piano. Do you have a problem with your offensive tackle playing piano when the other tackles on the board are eating glass or pushing <laughs> uh, four Raptors? Uh, maybe that brings a little finesse to the yeah, game, I like right? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Glue with his you know, hands. It's okay to be a Renaissance guy. There's nothing right? wrong with it. Nothing wrong with Pal it. Pal Gasol, they called him soft. He won two titles. <laughs> Any stats for uh, Andrew Thomas? Or? Um, no, like I said, he was the, he was the um, actually, yeah, he was the only tackle to perform in the top 10 in college football in pass protection and blocking. So you're getting a little bit of bolt there, which is going to help Daniel Jones and Saquon. So. Um, I think I, he played in an NFL-type scheme also, so I think it's a great pick. Yeah, I think, I think so, pick. too. Um, did you have a sleeper out of the Giants? Who would be your choice for a late-round sleeper for the Giants, a guy that maybe um, could outperform where he got drafted? I'm going Cameron Brown here. Okay. Um, I don't – he's an athletic Cameron guy. Brown, linebacker, Penn State. Linebacker out of Penn State. Yeah, he went um, 183. He's 6'5", 233. Um, he didn't really hit the quarterback too much because they didn't unleash him that way. Um, he was kind of just a roamer in space, got 72 tackles, only had two sacks. Um, I think he could be coached up. All right, I like that. So if they have him hit a gap or something like that, put him on the end, I think he'd be able to be a little dis- disruptive. Yeah, well, they, they do need an edge rusher, so hopefully, uh, hopefully that pans out. In terms of a late-round sleeper for the Giants, I'm going with their fifth-round pick. It's Shane Lemieux. Six foot four, 310 pounds, out of Oregon. He started 52 straight games on a good team at left guard. Uh, he was a second-team All-American. The Giants have a big hole at center. I think there's a chance that he could start at center. They don't have that position filled. They're looking at a bunch of guys who don't play center to play center. Lemieux is probably going to be in the mix for that, and I think long-term, He's got a chance to be there starting left guard going forward. Another quality young piece on their offensive line. Moving on to the New York Jets. Um, what do you think about their draft? Uh, I gave them an A+, plus actually. So I thought they did a little bit better than the Giants. I thought Joe Douglas, the GM, nailed it. Uh, he grabbed a mountain of a left tackle in round one. That's what they needed. Uh, he gambled by trading down in round two and risking not getting a receiver, and he's still able to land Mims, so he's still able to get the receiver that they needed. They helped Arnold with the line. They helped Arnold with receivers. Um, I thought they had a good draft. Uh, they also picked up a couple of lottery picks late that I thought potentially uh, you know, might, might pan out, and if they do, then this could really be a home run for this draft. So with the quote-unquote failed drug tests by Becton, um... Would you have gone worse because they had the opportunity to get worse in that spot? Um, I, 
I, I really, I mean, if you had worse higher, I think you take worse. If you had Beckton, I wouldn't let the put it this way. I wouldn't let the drug test affect my my ratings of the players. Um, I would have gone with the player who was higher on board. If that was Beckton, I would have taken Beckton. Um, I think most people had Worfs a little bit more uh, game ready, but uh, you can't teach size. Beckton six seven three sixty four, so um, I, I don't have a problem with the Jets taking him there. Do you think he'll have a problem maintaining that weight? Is that too heavy? Um, considering how athletic he is, and you know NFL training regimens and stuff like that, um, as long as the coaching staff stays on him, I, I don't think his weight is going to be a problem. Because of his height also, you know. So I, I don't think that's going to be an issue. The, the Jets did a terrible job protecting Sam Donald, so it's a great pick. Yeah. It's a great pick, yeah. Denzel Mims, what do you think about him? Um, let's see. Second most contested catches in college football with 20. Wow. Um, he also put scouts on notice at the Senior Bowl. He won 94% of his routes against Senior Bowl corners in the Super Bowl. Um, this guy, he just makes circus catches. Um, he's got big size, uh, big catch radius. Um, they say he drops some balls. Uh, he'll drop the easy one and make the spectacular catch. Hopefully he works that out for the Jets' sake. But um, I think that's a home run. He's definitely a first-round caliber wide receiver that they got in the second round. 14 games. He had 66 catches, 1,020 yards, 15.5 yards per catch, and 12 TDs. Yeah, he was an That's a nice monster, line. That's a nice right? line. Absolute yeah. Four three eight forty six three two hundred and seven pounds. It's a great pick. Yeah, great pick. And in the first round with Beckton, um, the stat that I had was just his his statistics, his actual size: six foot seven, yeah, three hundred sixty four pounds, five one forty. I yeah. mean, the speed, the athleticism. Uh, he's going to help in the pass game. He's going to help uh, run block for Le'Veon Bell. I think it was great. Did you have a late round sleeper for the Jets? Yeah, I went with. Um, I hope I pronounce this correctly. Correctly, um, Michael Perrine, the uh, running back out of Florida. Me too. He's a shifty tackle breaker from an SEC school. He's a dangerous change of pace back. He's got a sibling in the NFL. Um, I think he can compliment Le'Veon Bell nicely if they can figure out how to block for him. He was the third. Third in receiving from Miami. Four, he caught 40 balls last year. Oh, okay. That's, I didn't know that. uh, that'll be very nice out of the backfield. Um, they say if you get a, a blocker or two out in front of him, he could go. So that's the um, thing with that's yeah. the thing with running backs. A lot of times you can hit on a running back in the, in the third, fourth, fifth round sometimes, and if it's the right situation, they can have a lot of yardage, uh, big, big games and stuff like that. So I think Michael Perrine has a change of pace back for Le'Veon Bell. Good move. Anything you change about this draft for the Jets? <sighs> I think they hit it. I think they hit it, honestly, um, especially in the early rounds. They needed a weapon at wide receiver. They haven't had one in a while. Um, and they, how many times did Sam Donald get sacked last year? Yeah. They put a, they put a boulder on the line. Um, I think it's great. I think, I think they did good. I think both New York teams really, they hit early in the draft. You know, those late-round picks, they're all kind of roll the dice. So I think they both hit early. Yeah, no, the one thing with the Jets, um, they, they didn't really get the, the pure edge rusher. Um, that was their big. I mean, this draft was really thin in that category, so it's hard to kill them for that. Giants too. Did they get the? Did, the Giants didn't get an edge rusher either. either. Um, but for the Jets, I think that was one of their big going in. It was like we need an edge rusher, and they couldn't get an edge rusher. So um, I thought they might take one, uh, you know, in the mid rounds. But you know, they they did pretty good for themselves. Um, they're both at a similar stage of the rebuild. Um, they both have young quarterbacks on rookie deals. They're both trying to figure out what they have in terms of, you know, skill position guys. And 
Um, for the Jets, maybe a little bit ahead because they have a good defense already. But um, yeah, both in similar spots. They're both trending up. Um, yeah, so I, I was happy, happy for the Giants, optimistic about the Jets. I think it was a good draft for the New York teams. I'm going to throw a question out there, just sure. draft-based. Sure. What was your most shocking pick of round one? Oh, okay. Um, the Green Bay Packers, um, and we were going to get into winners and losers. Um, so I'm going to say that the Green Bay Packers, with Aaron Rodgers coming off a 13-3 and year, coming off a year where they made the playoffs again, when Rodgers is healthy, they make the playoffs. Um, they need help. And they trade up to get a guy in Jordan Love, a quarterback, who cannot help them. Uh, he can't play at the same time as Aaron Rodgers. So they wasted a first-round pick on a guy who can't play at the same time as their best player. And you got to deal with Aaron Rodgers' personality. Now you have to deal with him being a you know, diva. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's a hard enough guy to deal with to begin with, and now he didn't help the team. And just to give you an idea, um, if we're talking about team wins and losses in the draft, the Packers go into this draft, and you're thinking, we need no team because we just lost Beluga. We need a number two wide receiver in one of the biggest, deepest wide receiver drafts that we've ever had, and we need a linebacker. So in round one, they trade for a quarterback. In round two, they take a 260-pound backup bruiser running back, and in round three, they take a tight end who was projected to go in round five. So I would say that Green Bay for sure had the worst draft. And, you know, you never know how these things are going to play out until a couple years out. But as of right now, in terms of value, nobody had a worse draft than Green Bay. Who would you say lost the draft? Would you say that's your biggest surprise also? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I heard that they didn't even mention to Rodgers that they were going to take him, which is kind of a little disrespectful because he's pretty much the face of your franchise. Yeah. Um, I think you'd at least talk it over with him, even if you give him a heads up that you're going to go that route. Um, but you, they definitely should have shirt up the O-line or – you know, give him another threat at wide out. I think they absolutely lost. Did you have a winner in the draft? Um, not necessarily a winner, but as a Dolphin fan, I think hope. All right. <laughs> I hope think, wins. I, I think right? hope wins. Yeah. Um, I don't think we've had a Pro Bowl quarterback in the last 25 years, something like that. I'm a Dolphin fan. Um, so you get this lefty in there, accurate, sure up the O-line, Two a time. I, I think you have to say they won. We're not going to be able to tell. You know, time will obviously tell if you know if Tua could stay healthy. And there's a lot of other factors, but I, you got to go with a W here. Well, they did a great yeah. job just purging their roster. Yeah, and then replacing that with with free agents that they like that fit the scheme, and then adding a million draft picks. Yeah, and they grabbed their franchise quarterback, and they have two first rounders next year. Um, and they grabbed a bunch of offensive line help. So, yeah, I like what the Dolphins did. But for me, the big win in the draft was a team that did not have a first-round pick this year. I'm going with the Colts, okay? So they don't have a first-round pick. They go in there. They sign Rivers. They already have probably, if not the best, one of the three best offensive lines in the league. So you got a brand-new quarterback, possibly a potential Pro Bowl-level quarterback in Rivers if he's, if he's still got his uh, mojo. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the league. They grabbed Jonathan Taylor, who I said in a previous podcast is going to win Rookie of the Year next year. You've been talking, you've been talking about him a lot. So Jonathan Taylor, nineteen hundred yards, three straight years, six thousand yards at uh, at Wisconsin. Uh, I think he had like thirty touchdowns last year. Um, he's runner up in the Heisman. 
killed the combine, and now he goes behind one of the best offensive lines in the league. You, if you're Phil Rivers, you can't ask for better help than that. And they also grab Michael Pittman Jr. at wide receiver in the second round. Another guy I really like. We know how Rivers likes big receivers. He did great with Vincent Jackson. He did great with Antonio Gates. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr., 6'4". He's big. He's a, he's a jump ball type guy. They already have the speedster with T.Y. Hilton. So now they have Vincent Jackson on the other side. If Rivers have anything left in the tank... They're going to be a really potent, really balanced offense. Does he have anything left? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, if any, if you have a game manager there with that line, with with Michael Pittman, the big guy on one side, with T.Y. Hilton, the speedster on the other side, and the bruiser in Jonathan Taylor as your running back with fresh legs. I know he had a lot of a lot of carries in Wisconsin, but fresh NFL legs. You might see just a resurgence, resurgence yeah, from him, just because game. change of scenery. That's not change scenery. I'm expecting Rivers to bounce back this year. Um, the offensive line hasn't been—he hasn't been behind an offensive line this good in a long time, and he's of course a guy that needs an offensive line because he can barely move. Uh, <laughs> but with uh, with uh, Jonathan Taylor there, uh, they should be able to score a lot of points. Go Colts! <laughs> yeah, you're gonna punch that in, uh, rookie of the yeah, year. Let's sneak that in. I got a Heisman bet for you too. Oh, the Eric King, quarterback, Miami. It's a transfer from Houston. Maybe we'll mention that in the next pod. Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Um, Play along. Uh, who is your five guys, modern day, that would be a replica of the 96, 97, 95, 96 Chicago Bulls if you were to take five guys and assemble them today? And you can, you can interpret that however you want. You can go by stats. You can buy stats in the league, playing style, whatever Both. you want to do. Both. Incorporate everything you need. Uh, but let us know what you think. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.